Twitter goes wild, why Tesla shareholders are having a rough ride, and the challenge of bringing companies large and small together. It's all happening now on Tech Radio. Tech Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets, and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. Hello and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or, of course, Friday evenings on RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes. You're welcome to show number 949. Joining me as always is our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Uh, Niall, the richest man in the world up until yesterday was a tech guy, Elon Musk. No yeah. more today. <gasps> no more today. Uh, and for reasons we'll, we'll go into, but it's pretty much his own fault. Um, so uh, who actually is the richest man in the world now? Bernard Arnault. Okay. And what's he done? He is the guy who was an investor back in the 70s, I believe. And he went, uh, you know what, Moe, you know, the, the champagne people at Hennessy, you do the cognac and Louis Vuitton, you do all those. We should all work together. All right. And he literally got all of those brands together to make a huge super brand type company. And that company has bought other huge, uh, like Bulgari and Italy and, oh, goodness knows what. If it's a luxury brand, they own it. Okay. Mm. Bernard Arnault is the French guy sitting at the top of that. And he is now the world's richest man from handbags and shoes. From handbags and shoes. And could you pick him up out of a lineup? God, no. No. That's what smart people do. Exactly. They work and they make money. Exactly. I'd like to say that's why I'm in radio and not television, but I'm not quite in that league. <laughs> well, that's why you're in radio and not journalism, if you, if you want to go down that particular rabbit hole. Meow! Oh my God, I'm going to Anyway, listen, do you know what? Here, here, here is another reason why he is the world's richest man, all right? Because mm-hmm. Elon, as we know, He's a show off and he's blah, blah, blah. And he's always in the news and he's bringing sinks into Twitter and all that kind of stuff, always on the headlines, right? Whereas Barnard is kind of more private, okay? Mm-hmm. So there's a huge issue in the world at the moment about flight following, all right? There's these various accounts on Twitter that will actually say where these mega uber rich people are in their private planes. And it's all kind of part of following where they're going and counting up their carbon footprint and data and all that kind of stuff, right? So, uh, Elon doesn't like this at all, okay? And he has quite often been saying, it's not fair, I don't want people following me and blah, 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 for many reasons, and so on and so forth. So to cure the problem, Elon bought Twitter and has now banned people uh, from uh, doing this following service and saying where people are at any given time. Well, I think I think you're being a little bit I'll get into it. I am being very reductionist, but we'll get into the details in a second, right? What Bernardo did, do you know how he got over the problem? How? What? He sold his private plane. Interesting. Nothing to follow. That's it. That's pretty good. So I think he just rents one. He rents a private plane when he oh. needs one because he is that Fair rich, enough. like, you know. But yeah. No, I am being a little bit reductionist about Elon and this is a big story uh, this week. And I think in all fairness to Elon, he had said he doesn't like it, but he said... Uh, that's not the reason why he bought Twitter. There, there is a whole thing going on at Twitter at the moment about, and it's kind of like it's, it's to tie in with a trust and safety council whom they've disbanded. But it's all part of trust and safety and following. What, what did you want to say on that? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, when Elon Musk took over, he said, I am a free speech absolutist. Say whatever you like. Say whatever you like about me. I, I don't care. It's all engagement on the platform uh, by real people. Um, fantastic. That's what Twitter is there for. Mm-hmm. And he has spent his time, on, you know, in this expert trolling campaign to get people as mad at him as possible so that people will stay on the platform and stay engaged and talking to him and about him uh, just so he can keep the user base up. I am convinced that Elon Musk's current, um, you know, campaign to, you know, reinvent Twitter by destroying it is in part a huge trolling exercise just to, you know, to increase the strength of his reality distortion bubble. Because we've seen a few things over the past week. I mean, since since he bought Twitter, we've, we've seen it being, you know, completely stripped from, from the ground up. Now, I mean, thanks to the various backups and whatever that uh, Twitter has, it'll be a couple of weeks before we see things properly break. But so far, we've seen the colors of things change. We've seen blue ticks for everybody. We've seen gray ticks added on to people who had blue ticks because they had blue ticks for a reason. Um, And as of late, we have had uh, Ukraine taken away as a country of origin. Um, which is extremely controversial. And yes, we have had the guy who created the Elon Jet account, which uh, Elon Musk said, yeah, you can keep it up. I don't care. Uh, which, of course, we found out to be kind of strange because he had offered to buy the account uh, previously. He said, I'll give you $5,000. And um, the guy who ran it said, um, I'll sell it to you for 50. It would really yeah. help with my college fees. Yeah. <laughs> Good, uh, clever kid. Yeah. Yeah followed by crickets, and now his account is blocked, is, is suspended. Um, well, it, it, it's going yo-yo over the last couple of days, all right? Because it, it was suspended, then it was back on again, and then it's suspended, and then there's terms and conditions and all that kind of stuff. And I actually think that this is a valid point that's being made, and not just about Twitter, but Facebook or following famous people or other people, because we're having all these problems with Apple tags. You know, kind of Apple mm-hmm. brought out the tags. and like, hey, it's great if you ever lose your phone, if you lose your bag or whatever, you can follow it. And then, of course, you're having uh, jealous ex-boyfriends now putting tags into the pockets of their former mm-hmm. girlfriends and following them around. There's all that kind of weird stuff going around, like, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, Twitter were kind of going, all right, well, the following people Yes, you probably have a right or there's a freedom to be able to say where a person is, but, uh, and you absolutely have that freedom to say where you are. So I can say, oh, I'm in the studio at the minute, blah, 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 whatever, wherever it is. Um, but it's not in my right to be able to say where, say, uh, Michal Martin is right at this moment. Okay. That's mm. up to Michal Martin to share that. And and especially if there's another crazy person, another crazy person, I mean, a crazy person, <laughs> the third person <laughs> in this triangle, who's kind of watching me because I know where Michal Martin is and they're using that information then to go and chop the head off Michal Martin or whatever it happens to be. So there's a safety issue there, right? Mm. So I do kind of get that. And I think the arrangement that they've come up with a Twitter in general is that yes you have the freedom to say where a person was but okay? not is but not is okay so there might be an hour delay or a six hour delay or whatever it happens to be and I kind of think that's actually probably a good compromise 
Um, and of course, you're entirely free to say where you are at any given moment. Say, hey, I'm live here at Croke Park. Well, whatever. do you remember when Twitter was getting popular? There was, uh, it was either a service or an account called Please Rob Me. And it was basically people saying, I'm off to the shops or I'm going on my holidays. You know, people who had shared their location on Twitter. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. You know, with their names beside it. It's like, okay, you've advertised that you're not going to be in your home. Ah, kind of done this to yourself. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a weird. Victim it's blaming, but nah. it showed what can be done. I think it's just the world is changing. We have all this new technology and we're learning to grapple with it, I think is the, is the best way of putting it. Uh, and I think people kind of got wise to that with Facebook and social media, not to be putting up the fact that their house is empty because they're away on holidays for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Or they lock down their accounts is what you find now and that they're not sharing their Facebook account with the world, but mm. only with certain people and whatever and so forth. Yeah, I think. Well, I, I mean, don't, I don't, I don't use Twitter much anymore. I read it for for news. Really, I don't really interact with people on it. Ah, that's interesting because I found that I uh, I've given up on Facebook altogether. It's just a cesspit. Yeah. Um. Of uh, and not of humanity. It's a cesspit of sponsored posts, advertising, mm-hmm. um, things that you might be interested in as a. You know, very few people I know actually post on it. Uh, then I went with Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of very uh, careful. I said, all right, I'll put up pictures and then I just want to see pictures from people that I know. Same blinking thing on Instagram. It's like, you know, oh, suggested post and you might be interested in this. And It's like, you know, I'm just not. So I've stopped using the Instagram. And the only thing that I do use and that I find a lot of people are using is WhatsApp. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's I, yeah WhatsApp is, and it's kind of it's something we'll get into uh, next week when we talk a mm. little bit more about yeah, Web three. That uh, WhatsApp is is the new Facebook. It's just don't don't advertise what you're doing to the world, just to people you know and care about. Precisely. Anyways, listen, we've uh, distracted ourselves a lot from yeah. Elon Musk losing title of the world's richest man. Mm. Uh, Bernard Arnault is uh, doing that, uh, and of course, Elon Musk. That's not all he's losing. The value of stock in his Tesla company is also plummeting. I was um, shocked. Were you shocked? I really? was shocked. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, like th- to go from at start of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Tesla, tremendously innovative company led by an iconoclastic, um, slightly mischievous uh, CEO that we all think very highly of because, yep. you know, he's got Tesla and he's got SpaceX and he's got the boring company and he told us about Hyperloop, which is not happening. Uh, and he's got Neuralink happening and, you know, very much a trendsetter and a trailblazer. Great guy to have at the head of a company. Uh, $400 a share. Yeah. Uh, how much of that is based on the actual quality of the technology in the car? Well, that's up for debate because we do know about flaws in the automatic driving system that has led to quite a few uh, accidents and indeed a couple of fatalities. So that will hurt your share price. Uh, another thing that will share your that will hurt your share price is when your CEO goes AWOL to buy a social network um, that your investors definitely do not care about. Uh, your investors want to see cars in the road. They want to see cars being sold. They want to see cars that work. Uh, they want to see a nice corporate reputation and a squeaky clean CEO. If you're an investor, that's, that's what you want. 
And then we also have all of the supply chain issues, uh, which is going on yes. as a result of COVID and war in Ukraine. So yeah, so in fairness, it. that's something that can't be controlled. So fair enough, that that will hit your, your share price. And it's now, as much about how you deal with the crises as much as the crises themselves, I find. And that's something that, that we'll talk about a little bit later in, in the show in our interview. But um, so would you hazard a guess as to what a share in Tesla is worth, having been worth $400 at the start of the year? This is pretty much what's killed Elon Musk's uh, personal uh, valuation. I have seen the share price uh, go down from 400 and around. It was kind of knocking around the 300 mark for most of the year. Now, I mean, I know it had dipped down to maybe 200, which is really low, uh, but it went back up to 300 then. Uh, and like September is the last time I looked. So I haven't. Uh, yeah. Well, I went to look at buy uh, a share in Tesla yesterday and mm-hmm. it would have cost me $155. I mean, come on. Like if I was an investor shareholder, I would be banging on somebody's door going, get off the social network, get off your toy, fix this. Well, yeah, I, I, in all fairness, <laughs> sound like Ronan Keaton. Uh, in all fairness, I don't think it's all Elon Musk personally that is, you know, kind of because NASDAQ and a lot of those tech stocks have, have all taken a battering and there's mm-hmm. so many things, other things. It's just a world of bad news. Elon mm-hmm. bringing the kitchen sink into Twitter doesn't help. Yeah. Also, that's, the, that's the way I put it. I'd say there's definitely a few quid lost because of Elon, you know, kind of, uh, you know, acting the maggot. Yeah. And we, we're also, you know, because of that cult of personality, which has taken a bit of a knocking this week, uh, I don't know if you saw the clip of Dave Chappelle's gig in, I think it was LA. Uh, at the end of it, he invites on Elon Musk, wave to the crowd, and the guy is booed, like loudly booed. Um, and, you know, who thought that was a good idea to, you know, either bring him on stage or to ask him on stage at the end of a comedy gig? Like, who cares? Um, <laughs> very much a sort of, you know, Dave Chappelle going, check out my rich friend. Uh, and Elon Musk going, check out my black friend, ergo, I, I cannot be uh, some of my best friends, etc., etc. Oh, you're bad, Niall Kitson. Well, it's true, though. Like, the only reason these guys are in each, other, each other's company is because they're wealthy. And they both thought that this would be a great thing to, mm. um, to have Elon Musk on stage, that people would appreciate who he is and yada, yada. I mean, Tim Cook has more sense than to go onto a, a, a stage at the end of something. Satya Nadella has more sense to go on the end of something. Steve Jobs, at his height, might have gone on stage, but you know what? He would have been clapped. You reckon? Not by me. Now, <laughs> let's uh, go on to uh, somebody who definitely will not be clapped if they were to ever go on stage, Sam Brinkman Freed. Sam Bankman-Fried. Yeah, we started talking about the FTX uh, case. It's something we're really going to delve into next week uh, on our review of the year. But uh, for those who have been keeping up with the story, FTX, uh, cryptocurrency uh, exchange, where a lot of people keep their their crypto of choice, the money effectively vanished. uh, And the guy at the top 
on the exchange, Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, I don't know if he if he fled, but he he was certainly found in the Bahamas, uh, <laughs> where he has been arrested, and of course is going to be extradited to the US to face charges amongst them wire fraud, uh, and of course in the states or in life in general, you do not annoy investors, uh, and that, <laughs> when you basically lose all their money. Uh, you've you've got problems, so it's it's something we'll talk about in more in more detail next week. Personally, I'm surprised that you know he didn't pop up in Argentina or somewhere you know without an extradition uh, treaty. You know that going to the Bahamas seemed kind of I don't know kind of naive or something. Maybe he thought it'd blow over and he'd be somewhere you know pretty pretty swish for the rest of his days or or what have you. Um, but hey, he's going back to the States, he's going to face charges. It's not going to be pretty and we're going to learn an awful lot of ugly stuff about the workings of FTX, which I guess, you know, culturally, we know a lot of these failing companies. It is down to the guy at the top and it is down to some kind of toxic culture. And I think we're going to learn an awful lot about what went on in there. And I love to see people like that go to prison for a very long time, preferably till after they're dead and they still have a hundred years to serve. I, I I would I would love to come up with an invention for people like that is that when they pass away is you shock them and wake them up again <laughs> and you keep them alive until they're 200 and that's, keep them in that's prison. That's very Philip K. Dick right there. Thank you very much. Or maybe no. Harlan Ellison. He was a bit nuts. <laughs> anyway, listen, as we said, uh, we have got two special shows to wrap up the end of the year and to go over Christmas. So uh, one show, we're going to be looking back at kind of 2000 and whatever it was, 22. Uh, and then we're going to be looking ahead to next year then in the second show and kind of just thinking about all of the exciting things that will be ahead of us. And remember, if you want to get those shows automatically to subscribe to our podcast now, subscribe, ha, 2021 of me, Follow our podcast is uh, the button that you play, press in your player. You can do that right now. And of course, uh, do remember that we keep you up to date on all things tech in Ireland with early updates, daily newsletters and more as well. You get all of that on our website, techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. This year has been a landmark year for technology for some of the wrong reasons, chief among them being a series of significant job losses. However, as big companies downsize, this is creating opportunities for smaller companies to identify problems and to develop unique solutions. Connor Carmody is Chief Commercial Officer with the Innovation Exchange, and he had a chat with Niall Kitson about bringing local startups and scale-ups together with the large multinationals in these uncertain times. Connor, it feels like the relationship between big tech and startups uh, at sort of both ends of, of, of the scale, if you will, has seen a real retrenchment, a real organization in 2022. Uh, was that the case specifically for this year or was it a trend you saw coming down the tracks? So, Niall, thanks for having me on. Firstly, uh, great to chat with you. Um, I guess my sense or our sense of the world is the gap we identified in the market uh, for the innovation exchange, which is what we're talking about this morning, was very much around or led by a digital transformation agenda. And by that, I mean, 
on the one hand, you have kind of large corporates, and I'll come back and split that up in a minute. But on the one hand, you have large companies looking to continually evolve, grow, uh, and adopt new transformation uh, tech or new transformation practices. And on the other hand, we have in this country a very strong indigenous SME startup scale up growing companies who are desperate to sell to those corporates. And it appeared to us that those two parties weren't connecting in the right way. And that's what we came up with was the innovation exchange. So for me, the backdrop is empowering the larger companies to work with smaller companies and vice versa. And I'll go back on that and say that the corporates that we talk to or the large companies, and there's kind of lots of different ways you can refer to them. We've naturally split them in two. So there are the indigenous Irish large corporates, the likes of Glanbia, the likes of Musgrave, uh, I'll include Ryanair in there if I may. And these are Irish companies headquartered here who accept that they need to change and grow in line with evolving kind of tech uh, requirements. And they're faced with a dilemma, which is they can either build it themselves and in large companies, as you well know, the product development lifecycle can run from 12 to 24 months. Uh, And in today's market, that seems like a long time. So uh, they're open to finding ways to work with nimble uh, scale-up companies. uh, And that's what we're doing. So I guess in one market, the indigenous Irish guys, they're uh, they're open uh, to buy uh, and we, we bring them together. For the larger kind of FDI, or if you went to the kind of the large tech guys, the Googles and the Metas and uh, and guys like this, they're probably not so much uh, looking for digital transformation solutions because they can do it themselves. And I guess what we're trying to explore is how can we help them more closely integrate into the ecosystem. And there has been some of it. So Google has adopted a startup, uh, Amazon with AWS, and they have a credit system. IBM uh, on their platform have a credit system, and they're trying to get folks to come and work for them. And I would, my observation is that Ireland, uh, while we have a huge representation of all of those significant tech multinationals, we haven't seen a fully developed ecosystem the way you might see in, in Silicon Valley or the way you might see somewhere else. And by that, I mean that the, the large companies are here, but they're really not integrated into the into the startup or the scale-up ecosystem. And I guess one of the things we'd like to consider is why is that and how can we go about changing that? And one of the things we've explored this year with the Innovation Exchange is a relationship with the IDA. Uh, and they have a portal, the Disruptive Technologies portal on their website, um, where we're trying to, to kind of work with the IDA to identify some of those large tech, uh, you know, multinationals, the US ones primarily, and how can we help them more closely integrate into the ecosystem? I think the will is there, uh, but I just don't think there's been a framework to date to allow them to kind of more comprehensively engage with us. So we have started some discussions there. Um I guess the other question that arises uh, to your point around 2022, um, and we have seen over the last, you know, three months specifically, but probably over the last six to nine months, emerging clouds around kind of uh, layoffs. Uh, you know, the stock market has has kind of come down. We've had war in Russia. So we've had some human uh, tragedies and human issues. And, you know, for the guys working in the tech sector, on a personal level, you'd feel hugely sorry for them in a run-up to Christmas and you've lost your job uh, and all of that. 
I wonder, though, the question that emerges, and we saw something like this, uh, if you remember the last crash, and I'm sure you do, back in 2000 and 2008, sorry, 2008 to 2010, the notion of forced entrepreneurship. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen those uh, those kind of um, emerging, that emerging trend. But I guess if I were working in one of the tech uh, companies and I got laid off, it may very well be an opportunity for me to say, well, actually, I have an opportunity now to explore this idea that I've been developing in my mind without doing anything about it over the last year or two, because I've been so busy in my day job. Um, So I guess there's one point that says we will potentially see some new spin-outs coming from some of these uh, tech folks who now have an opportunity, as strange as that, or, you know, that doesn't come out right, but they have the time now that they didn't have before is one point. And the second point, I guess, is that all of the forecasts for the Irish economy over the next couple of years do show us being quite resilient. And while we are seeing some layoffs, and for those who have been affected, that's significant. Um, but in the overall context of employment here in the sector, it seems to be quite low. And there does appear to be uh, also some hiring going on. So I guess this downturn is probably very different to, to what we saw in 2008, 2010 and 12. And I guess the open question we have is, what does 2023 bring? And is it a minor correction that will then find its way back again? Or does this global uncertainty continue to uh, drag us down as we move into 2023? And I don't have the answer to that, I'm afraid. I think one of the um, problems, I suppose you might call it, that was revealed over the last year was sort of the myth of growth and the idea that, you know, if you kept growing, you could keep employing, you could sort of keep kicking the revenue can down the road. Um, and what seems to have happened over the last year was that companies realized that they had overhired or overinvested in product uh, to the expense, to the, at the expense of their commercial operation. Um, because you had an awful lot of engineers setting up companies who wanted to build the press best product they can without necessarily understanding the uh, commercial element and, and how to actually sell that product. Um, is is that an experience that you've come across as well? Well, I guess, you know, when you have, and we had a wall of venture money uh, pouring into new technology startups, uh, you know, at that early stage when when money has been pumped into to kind of tech startups, the focus is on building the tech, build it and they will come. And, um, you know, so the, the chase was not for profitability at an EBITDA or a, a, a kind of a net level. The, the push was on get the tech built and hoover up as much market share as you can. And, you know, as that wall of, de- of venture money uh, slowed down this year, um, the focus then turned to profitability and the focus then turned to, you know, is this company sustainable? And, you know, in any post, any kind of big uh, rush, you do see, uh, what does uh, Warren Buffett say? Uh, When the tide goes out, you can see who's swimming naked. And certainly, uh, I think some companies were exposed. They had taken on money. They had grown possibly too fast. Um, And some of them, you know, some of them have handled it exceptionally well. I mean, you look at how Stripe... um, even in their communications out to their team from the from the two founders, uh, the Collisons, their communications out to the team, the way they handled it, their humility, uh, I guess, around, look, we were growing too fast. 
COVID hit, a war in Ukraine hit, uh, the world has fundamentally changed from where we thought it was 12, 18 months ago, 24 months ago, and none of us saw it coming and we got it wrong. We are course correcting. We're still a very large, growing, profitable, well-run business, uh, but we just have to make a slight course correction. And I thought they handled it very well when you read the, the comms out of their base. And you consider that to maybe how some of the other uh, ones were handled. It seemed to me that uh, at the large company level, there's an understanding that the revenue growth coming from an, in an online space is not as aggressive as they would have thought two years ago. So there's a time to maybe reduce or reorient uh, your hiring. Uh, and then at a smaller tech company level, there's a sense that that growth isn't coming. Uh, we did take in some early venture money. We probably need to manage our cash burn. We need to extend out the runway, uh, you know, whereas, you know, we probably could have felt that we'd get a six to 12 month runway. That probably now needs to be 18 months. And at the VC level, a lot of the VCs then were saying, well, we'll keep our powder just a little bit dry. And, you know, if we were going to go into a company, we may just hold that decision and push it out until the uh, early, uh, you know, half, maybe first half of next year. So I think there's a correction uh, going on um, around that. And there's maybe a realization that uh, the growth patterns seen over the last couple of years have slowed down. And the question then is, when do they turn around and start to to regrow again, uh, I think is, is kind of the question. Part of that issue of, you know, there being uh, this uh, wave of layoffs is that you have an awful lot of talent entering the jobs market. Um, Previously, the war for talent had been pushing up wages. Uh, Now, when you have more people entering the jobs market, do you think that will have a, uh, I I will use the word, a rebalancing effect where um, we again have extra people on the market capable of doing the work that it might have the effect of bringing down wages in the tech sector, probably for the first time in a long time. Yeah. But also uh, going back to the innovation exchange now, what that means potentially also is that if you're an SME scale up in this country, you know, trying to compete uh, against a wage pool that is being paid by a large multinational, you're always going to lose out in that race. What it potentially means is that there is talent available to those exciting tech companies at SME scale up uh, that we're working with in the Innovation Exchange, that they can now possibly get that talent to come work for them. Very difficult to compete when, you know, large FDI is handing out significant salaries at a tech engineer level. Um, and so, so I guess there's going to be a rebalancing, yes, but I think that potentially, and what we're seeing on the innovation exchange is that that maybe brings opportunities for some of the exciting companies to nab some of that talent and get it to come in and work. So for for us, uh, and I guess for the Irish kind of scale-up ecosystem, there's some light, uh, I think, at the end of the tunnel on that one. Do you think there is a, a required cultural mind shift? You sort of alluded to it there on the, the level of wages, but I think there is certainly a different quality of life comes uh, with working on a startup or a scale up as opposed to what, you know, what is affectionately referred to as the chocolate factories of Google and Facebook, where, you know, these offices are designed to keep you in them for as for as long as possible. Do you think that's um, been a culture shift or, you know, a a culture shock, if you will, or has it been a case of people going, do you know what, this is actually a much nicer environment or, or scale for me to work in? Well, there's probably a couple of answers to that. Um, 
there's one that says we're in the middle of a reordering of how we manage work and life and offices. I was listening to uh, Stephen Dubner, Freakonomics. Uh, he runs some really good, interesting talks. Um, and I think he was referencing the New York real estate market. And the sense is that it's at 50% occupancy and it is not going to get any better. That that to them is the new normal. And that people you know, are now working three days at home, two days in an office, or, or they're finding that balance in their life. So I guess there's a first big social reordering that says, you know, I did go into the office five days a week and I did stay late and I did start early. And I think there's a lot of folks that are saying, actually, I'm reordering how I think about my life and my work-life balance. We've seen, is it in Sweden? They've successfully moved to the four-day week. Um, that's coming here as well. Um, we've Again, Stephen Dubner in Freakonomics says that productivity from working at home is significantly up. I think he said 14% on studies. So all of the emerging research firstly says that we're rethinking about how we run our lives um, and the notion uh, of, of kind of a five-day, 60, 70-hour week in an office uh, is probably gone for good, to be honest. I'll caveat that by saying for somebody like me who's kind of slightly older, lives out in Kildare and, you know, uh, has a setup to allow me to work from home quite comfortably. If I was younger and in an apartment in town, I probably do want to go back in and I also want the social connection. So I guess as we first point, as we think about reordering, how do you get that social balance? And then how do you get the work-life balance? Uh, and how do you find ways to work? We don't have the answer to that yet. I think we're at the very early start of that journey, but it is not going back to the way it was where we're all five days a week in an office, hustling away at our desks and stuff like that. That's the first point. And you look at someone like Spotify and they say, work from home forever. We're not coming back to the office and they're quite happy with that. So first point. Second point, I think there's a, a cultural piece that you arrive at in your life. And for lots of people, working on the corporate or within the corporate context is exactly what they want. There's a structure, there's a discipline, there's a very well-ordered career path. Uh, you can you know, build a very nice career within a large corporate and you can show career progression. You can move on uh, and do very well at that. For other folks, they may have found themselves in there because maybe, as you say, enticed in by the chocolate factory. And now they're thinking, actually, I want to do something else. The startup life or the scale-up life, as you know, is not for everybody. It's uncertain. Uh, it's choppy. It, it is, but it allows a huge amount of freedom in your life. So I think for for lots of folk that I've talked to right now, there is this debate going on around the fork in the road and what sort of a kind of a, a work-life balance do I want? What sort of a career choice do I want? And how best I can fulfill against that? So work probably is not the be all and end all, but it's a very significant part of what we do, but it probably doesn't define us maybe as it did a couple of years ago. I think that's a fascinating point and, and bring, bring it around to what you um, were talking about there about the rate of office occupancy. Uh, in Dublin, we are seeing an 
awful lot of building, uh, an awful lot of building works, which is great for the construction centre. But an awful lot of these buildings are office buildings and they would have been sort of had their planning permission granted on the basis of there's a massive shortage of office space in Dublin, which there was for for a long time. Um, And all of a sudden this new reality has arrived where we are going to see an awful lot of very expensive buildings uh, effectively empty. Uh, I know that some uh, MNCs came to Ireland uh, with the expectation of renting out very big buildings uh, and sort of letting startups play in certain parts of them and sort of have that dialogue between, you know, what what are you doing? What are you getting up to? Very much what you do uh, in the innovation exchange. Um, But we're in that stage now where those startups aren't going to be in those buildings. They're all going to be working uh, remotely. So how do you see that culture shift continuing to work down the line? I mean, you guys are are very much in the middle of it. How, How is that conversation going? So uh, it's going really well. Just to pick up your point uh, on the office space. There's a really interesting thought process about if people are not coming back into these large office blocks, uh, office buildings, what are we going to do with them? And uh, I was looking at some stuff recently about can those buildings be repurposed? Uh And it is a significant challenge because, you know, apartment regulations would say that there has to be a window in every bedroom or a window in every kitchen. The the way these buildings are designed around a central core probably doesn't lend itself to uh, an office block. So will we see some of these buildings at significant cost being repurposed into apartments? That's going to be a challenge. Does it mean that there's more hotels or more other accommodation coming? Um, so there's, there's, you're right, we have had this enormous rush to fill the place full of office blocks and now nobody wants to go back to them. Uh, and while, as you say, the construction sector is busy making office blocks, it appears that people don't want them and therein lies a, a big kind of commercial real estate quandary um, for, for lots of people. And, you know, you look at some of the big FDIs, they've signed 25-year leases on these buildings and they're probably, I don't know the detail, but there's probably no break clause up until, I don't know, 15 years or 20 years. So they're stuck unless they can uh, offload that or sublet it to somebody else. They're stuck paying rent on buildings that are empty over the next 10, 5, 15 years, whatever that might be. Um, in the overall context of their revenues, it's probably not a huge amount. But nonetheless, if you have that replicated in a number of cities around Europe or elsewhere, uh, it becomes a significant drain. So I think there is one to watch around how does the commercial real estate market reorient itself over the next five to 10 years, if, as we all believe, that the new normal says we're all working from home. So just one to watch. It's kind of interesting, I think. Um, To your point, I guess the Innovation Exchange, we set out on this journey, as I said at the outset, to connect corporates and to connect SMEs and try to get them together and try to get them to buy and sell from and to each other. And we set out this year, we've done remarkably well. We've we've kind of brought on about 25 corporates. Uh, I mentioned some of the names, the Ryanair's, Glanbeas, AXA, Musgrave, Klishter, the hotel group. Um, and they've all come to us with specific challenges uh, that they're trying to fix all around Mostly we see uh, RPA, uh, process automation. We see a lot around CX and and customer journeys. And then we see some very specific challenges coming out of one or two of the drug companies came to us and they had very specific challenges around, you know, bottling or machining or production. So really, really interesting. On the other hand, we've brought on this year 200 plus uh, SMEs and they 
are uh, the profile of those companies is that they are tech. Uh, they have developed some innovative technology and they are looking for ways to scale into the corporate world. And at its simplest, Niall, we put them together. And it's not the first time it's been tried before. Lots of people have tried it. I think we claim that the point of difference here is that A, it is driving the digital transformation agenda for government and for Skillnet who fund this particular initiative. And it is very clearly in line with government policy. Government has a couple of pillars of policy, but one would be around digital transformation and the enablement of digital transformation uh, for Ireland. And we're playing right into that agenda. For the SMEs, uh, it's very clear what we offer them. We offer them a chance to join a thriving ecosystem. We uh, offer them an opportunity to pitch directly to large corporate buyers and they get an opportunity to meet in a managed and curated uh, environment uh, significant corporate buyers who have budget, who have authority, who have a need, uh, who are willing to buy. Um, and, you know, as we say to our uh, companies, last year, we or this year rather, we did uh, just under 20 corporate pitches. Next year, we'll probably try to double that. We'll get to 40, maybe even more if we're successful. And what that gives you is an opportunity to come on a webinar. There is a significant corporate buyer on the other side who will talk about her challenge, his challenge. They will say, this is what I'm trying to do. And if you can help me fix that, I will buy from you. So, we had an event last night. We were we got our SMEs together and we talked about kind of how do we continue to build that pipeline of corporates and how do we continue to get them in front? How do we continue to upskill them around the pitching and how do you sell into corporates and how do you do sales discovery and how do you understand how to, to kind of buy? Um, we have had this year a pipeline of greater than 20 deals that are working their way through. We've had one or two deals that have been closed. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a company called Exertus. They are the technology arm of DCC. And they had a particular challenge, which they articulated very well around RPA, uh, Robotic Process Auto Automation. And we found a company on the other side called Digital Workforce. Uh, and Kevin runs that company. He's a very good advocate for our program and a great ambassador. Uh, and we put the two of them together. And within kind of six, eight weeks, they had agreed a proof of concept, which they are working on at the moment. And it's our belief that that will be extended out next year. Kevin would be very clear when we talk to him that he and the opportunity to get in front of a large uh, company like DCC, uh, he couldn't have done that without the, the framework that we've built. So early successes coming across a couple of the companies that we're working with. And as we get into next year, there is one global brand uh, we think that's going to uh, take a significant uh, step with us, uh, which we, we aren't talking about now, but we will talk about it early in the new year. Um, but, but so for the SMEs, they get an opportunity to network. They get an opportunity to meet with each other. And I believe there's opportunities for collaboration between SMEs amongst themselves uh, and also opportunities directly to pitch into corporates. So early days for us, Niall, but what we're seeing says there's a pipeline to be built. There's an appetite from the corporates to buy from good indigenous Irish SMEs and there's most certainly an appetite from the SMEs to go back and sell to those corporates. And that was Connor Carmody, Chief Commercial Officer with the Innovation Exchange chatting with Niall Kitson. That's it for our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with early updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or check us out each week online or Fridays on RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, have a great weekend. 
Talk soon. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.